In this podcast on metamemory, I want to summarize the ideas in an interesting video on the web by Alida Osman, Cultural Memory. The video is on the Vimeo site, and the best way to get to it is to go to my Twitter feed, which is at memory through media. At memory through media, the through is T H R U, and it's all run together. You'll see a tweet at the very top, or near the top, which refers to a video on cultural memory, and that's the one that we're looking at today. Uh, Professor Osman is one of the leading lights in memory studies, and she does an excellent job of summarizing the concept of cultural memory. Now, what I want to do is to summarize it in what might be called American English. I do not mean to imply that Professor Osman is unintelligible to American readers or listeners, but to younger students especially, a summary of her points in a more common vernacular may be helpful. In this video, she's interviewed by Professor Astrid Earle, but we do not hear any of the questions except for one during the video. That's interesting, and it would be nice to have all of the questions that Professor Osman uh, responded to in order to fully understand her answers. But she starts out by defining culture, and she calls it the memory of a society not transmitted by genes. She points out that culture is constructed, it is developed, it's fragile, it's always contested, and it's always in danger. She points out that groups need cultural memory as a kind of suitcase conferring identity and helpful baggage as they make their way through history. Identity or memory provides a horizon of images and values to construct their own personal values, biographies, and so on in accordance with the overall group's identity or memory. She points out that cultural memory came about in the 1980s when the historical time frame that we grew up in, or that she grew up in, was changing, moving away from the modern time regime, as she calls it. The modern time regime is the attitude that uh, was prevalent in the 20th century until the 1980s, where people gazed in hope at the future and wanted to forget the past and leave it behind. Now, as the video proceeds, she defines the modern time regime, and she points out that it was in the 1980s that this methodology, or this this mindset, began to change. And it changed uh, for a variety of reasons all over the world, but in Germany, it was due to Germany's entrance into a larger European community, It came about because of the debate among historians in Germany, which is known as the Historica Streit. And there was lots of angles to that historian's debate, but it certainly returned the past to focus for, for Germans at the academic level. And there was also the return of testimony, as many Holocaust survivors for the first time began to share their stories. Also, of course, uh, you have the reunification of the two Germanies which allowed uh, a retrospective glance into the past, where before that was kind of shuffled under the rug in the interest of power and uh, progress for those two states. So she points out that the past was getting closer and closer as time grew farther and farther away from World War II. 
The other aspect in the 80s was the profound media change to digital computers. And this focused attention on the power of memory in, in terms of computers and the media. And uh, it, it framed the conversation about history in a, in a new way. She then talks about pioneers in the field of memory study. She mentions Freud, Maurice Holwachs, and Nietzsche in particular. She talks about Freud, but she says he based memory on forgetting. He, he believed that the best thing for people to do is to forget. That's the most healthful way an individual can make their way in the world. And he looked at uh, memory as a kind of bad thing, something that, that prevented the individuals from struggling with, with his internal problems. Holbwachs said that we remember as part of a group. We don't remember individually, and if we weren't part of a group, we wouldn't remember at all, Holbwachs implies. Memories flow from the groups you belong to, and Nietzsche also emphasized forgetting and the struggle to find one's own group memory in the limited space of the cultural memory of the whole group. So Nietzsche was powerful because he also talked about the importance of groups to memory, and he also talked about the limited space that cultural memory can, can occupy, that, that you cannot remember everything and that there is a contest between groups for inclusion in that limited space. And that's something that modern memory scholars continue to struggle with and argue about. If memory is the DNA of a group, where does it come from, she wonders. There are different kinds of memory, she reminds us. There is neurological memory, the kind of memory we're all familiar with, our memories as individuals, that is, what comes from inside us, but memory also comes to us from outside ourselves in the form of learning. We learn things that are not part of our own personal experience. And also, there's something that she and her husband, Jan Ospen, pioneered, which is called communicative memory, which is the memory that we get from, from members of our family across two or at most three generations, or 80 to 100 years. We, we hear about the past that our direct uh, ancestors and relatives experienced. But this is limited in time. It only lasts for about 100 years. Whereas cultural memory extends that period from 100 to 3,000 years. In the case of cultural memory, she points out, there are carriers who can be individual human beings. And this is especially true in oral cultures where performance is how cultural memory is transmitted. And there are still oral cultures today. But for the most part, for the most part, memory today in terms of cultural memory is transmitted by uh, performances in the form of media or in the form of monuments, engravings that are placed in stone or in the form of museums, or in the form of archives. And the, the corpus of this varied equipment, if you want to call it that, is what we call cultural memory. Now, it might be better to think of what is archived as being separate from cultural memory. The core of our memory is the canon, and this is what is sacred, this is what is holy. This is what everybody agrees about. 
as being the common memory of the members of the group. And the canon or core is widely understood by everyone, but it is also distinctly limited. And therefore, uh, there is a kind of uh, protection of the contents of the canon. This is what is usable about memory. This is what is powerful. This is what it shapes our actions. And yet there is po a possibility of an exchange between the, the elements of the canon and the elements of the archive. If historians, politicians, leaders, or people en masse decide to include the latent material in the archive and to transfer that into the canon, that can be done, but there's an implication that there is going to be a concomitant uh, need to get rid of something in the canon to make room for this new entrant from the archive. And she, makes, uh, she presents an example of the 1970s when historians noticed uh, women and workers and brought those into the historical consensus. They noticed that women and workers had been ignored and they weren't going to be ignored anymore. They were part of the canon from that point forward. And I suppose what was jettisoned, although I'm not sure she means this, I suppose what was jettisoned was the notion that history is all about elites, which was part of the canon prior to the 1970s. And so by jettisoning that, by getting rid of that, there was room for the, uh, the completely opposite view that history should flow from the bottom up. Now, she doesn't say that, and I would be interested in knowing if that's what she thought was removed from the canon in order to make way for the new history from the bottom up. She talks about the canon as being topics that everyone regards as seminal to the identity of the group or a list of authors or seminal events, but they're limited, they're on display, they're constantly exhibited, and they have a force and power that the latent archive does not have. She closed the video by talking about the criticisms against cultural memory, and we'll address that after the break. At the conclusion of the podcast, Professor Earle asked, what have been the criticisms of this approach to memory studies? Professor Osman replied that it has to be understood that memory studies have been very successful and the concept of collective memory has been widely regarded as correct. And so uh, we have to put the uh, criticism in that context. But one criticism is the idea of connecting memories with the collective. How can memory be co connected with a collective group? It seems impossible, a myth, because groups don't remember, individuals do. What uh, memory studies does is de-essentialize collective memory which means that it is not something organic. It's not something natural to human beings as human beings. It is obviously constructed. Culture is constructed all the time. That's the whole idea of culture. But the fact that culture is constructed does not mean it needs to be deconstructed because it must be false. When we reflect that everything we have, especially everything that's valuable, is constructed, we shouldn't desire everything that is constructed to be automatically deconstructed. 
Cultural memory has a long history, and it can't be controlled by the government, which seems to be one of the things that, that is of concern to deconstructionists. So that seems to sum up the video and Professor Osman's remarks. After the break, we'll have a few last words. So I hope you had a chance to view Professor Osman's video referenced earlier. My interpretation of her remarks is just that. So please heed this disclaimer. I would welcome her thoughts on my SoundCloud site, MetaMemory, on the accuracy of these interpretations of her remarks, and comments may be left there. My MetaMemory podcast on memory studies appears twice each month on my podcast RSS on SoundCloud, and it's also available on iTunes. Your thoughts are welcome, too. If you enjoy these If you enjoy this series, please let me know. For now, have a happy holiday season and happy remembering.